Freedom Hut. President Trump and the First Lady test positive for COVID. They will both beat this virus. Audio leaks of the floatist calls. Uh, more white supremacy talk from the media and the ACB hearings are full speed ahead. This, this is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission, mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, my friends, to the Buck Sexton Show. Big news today that everybody's talking about is about the president of the United States testing positive for COVID-19, as has the first lady. As I come to you on air now, uh, the chief of staff has tested negative. Vice President Pence has tested negative. The, uh, the vice president's wife has tested negative and uh, Joe Biden is also negative. So everyone's now focused on this today. It's it's created a bit of a frenzy. Let's all take a deep breath. Let's take a step back from all the insanity and be very clear about what we know right now and what this means as of now. The president has a virus that has infected millions, perhaps at this point, tens of millions of Americans. His chances of a full recovery, including a full recovery after pretty minimal symptoms, are very high. He does have uh, some cold-like symptoms at this point, so he is not asymptomatic. Now, this is a time when you do want to uh, pray for the president and the first lady. This is not a terminal cancer diagnosis. This is not something that we can't treat or we don't know what to do. There's an overwhelming likelihood based on just the statistics, the numbers. The president is going to be just fine. First lady, just fine. I mean, she's actually in considerably uh, better statistical condition, uh, although the president should be just fine as well. Now, there's a a lot of speculation that comes out of this right away. Uh, The New York Times, Washington Post already putting up things about, well, can the president even really still stay on the ballot or can the president be expected to continue on in this campaign in any meaningful way? Look, he's supposed to quarantine now for two weeks. We'll see how he does. Uh, It's as I've said, I'm very confident that the president's going to beat this thing. And we're going to hear in about a week's time that he's feeling pretty good and he's going to finish out his quarantine and get right back to it. That is my expectation. Now, Nothing is perfect. Nothing is certain. We know that too. But thoughts and prayers go up to the president, the first lady, everybody affected in the president's family and the White House and for the whole country. I don't care who you are. I don't care what we're talking about. If you are an American and the president of the United States has a disease that can be fatal, although it is very unlikely to be so, You are praying for the speediest possible recovery. It's what's best for the country. It's also what's the most fundamental decency we have as human beings. I can assure you right now that if, heaven forbid, Joe Biden came down with the coronavirus, the only thing you would hear from me on this show about that, about the the condition and the diagnosis is, I hope Joe Biden beats this thing as fast as possible with the bare minimum of of symptoms and discomfort, and God bless him and his family. 
That's the only way. There, there's no other way. Right? There's no other way. You can't consider yourself to be a moral person and not root for your fellow American, uh, your fellow human being to beat this disease. I'm not worried for the president. I'm just hopeful he'll beat it quickly and get back out on the campaign trail. I mean, I could say I'm concerned. We're all a little concerned. I'm not worried. One thing we do know about this president, he's a fighter. And we know that this is a fight that he absolutely is going to win. Um, Now, I've also, if you recall, months ago, I said, it's likely that one of the the, the candidates, we got a lot of senior citizen politicians out there, and it's likely that one of them is going to get COVID. You have to go back in the files. But I remember talking to this on the show. We're probably going to have somebody who is, uh, COVID positive, who's either the pre- either the president or one of the Democrat candidates. This is, you know, earlier on, uh, one of the Democrats at the top of, of their list uh, coming forward with this. That that was what I thought was going to happen. And it just it's what you would expect under the circumstances. Now, now that we've dealt with the the, the basic truth of this, which is that the president has COVID, I think he's going to be fine. I'm not worried about him and I'm praying for him and his family. And uh, now let's talk about because we have to. This is a, a political show. What are the responses to this? What do people say in positions of power, of prominence, when they hear that the president of the United States has what can, in fact, be uh, a fatal disease? Now, as I've said, very unlikely, you know, it's point zero something or other in fatality overall. But today is unfortunately one of those days where you can make a very strong case that live blue check journos are, in fact, the worst professional class in America. I don't even think it's worth it's worth it to go through and cite all the individuals who are. And I'm talking about not just strangers. Obviously, there are unhinged left wing Democrats. There are crazy people who are Democrats all across the country who are openly rooting for the. Uh, demise the the physical demise the the passing of the president of the united states there are people out there who are saying it publicly we see it including blue checks including people who make a living doing commentary now you would think you'd like to think at least that this would be shouted down by other blue checks that this would be considered so far beyond the pale so unacceptable but Generally speaking, they move past it. They just ignore it. Almost like Antifa and the BLM riots. If they're not defending it, they're pretending it's not there. The people who are wishing for the death of the president of the United States on social media are a moral monstrosity. And I can tell you this. If you were a blue check conservative, if you were somebody in the media who works at one of the conservative Uh, one of the few conservative media platforms, or you're a talk radio host like me, and the roles were reversed, and Joe Biden got sick with COVID-19, and anybody uh, who said, you know, that they were happy about that, or, you know, God forbid, they were hoping that that had a, a tragic end, they would be held to account by their peers. I I would not allow it to go uh, unconfronted if somebody on our side was doing that. It's happening all over the place with the libs. It's disgusting. And it's also entirely predictable. It's not even a little bit surprising. 
Although I have seen a couple of people uh, on, on the right in media who are taking screen grabs of because they know that it, it's usually the emotional outburst from the libs that shows you what they really think. And then sometimes they're trying to clean it up afterwards. So they're screenshotting all these tweets they're putting out after the president has come down with COVID-19 to make sure that we know we know what they really think. We know what their real beliefs are around the health and safety of the leader of the free world. <sighs> but there are people who are now trying to score uh, political points as well. So, so there's the unhinged leftist mob that is rooting for the president to fail in his fight against this disease, which is which is absolutely disgusting. But, you know, the same kind of moral monsters who cheered on the smearing and the psychological torture of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. But a couple of years ago, it's not a surprise that they're that much uh, that they're that deranged, that they're a bunch of savages, a bunch of true barbarian morons who now are openly rooting for COVID-19 to beat the president in this fight. So, but we do need to establish that that is there. And I'm telling you, and they would argue this and I don't care. It's more prominent on the left than it would ever be on the right because they have convinced themselves. It is mainstream. It is the dominant thinking on the left is that the president is an evil man who is a threat to this country as long as he is president and that he needs to be punished up to and including what they're saying on social media now about COVID. Uh, on the right, we would say that that's disgusting. We would never want that to be a, uh, a, a claim made or a desire in the name of our beliefs, in the name of our politics, if Joe Biden were sick. And I can tell you this, and I know you feel the same way. Not one day, not one second have I thought to myself, you know, it would be really great for us if Joe Biden got COVID-19 wouldn't that that's a it's a it's an atrocious thought and it's, it's a real moment of of moral testing here there's a real gut check that comes into this because I don't believe that both political parties are morally equivalent I don't think either is perfect but I do not believe that the right that conservatism in America that people who share the beliefs and fundamental principles uh, that I do I don't think that the left is as worthy on those points. I don't think that the left holds itself to account. I think that they are much more willing to embrace psychotic viciousness in the name of politics. Truly vindictive, unhinged mob mentality. You know, this is straight from the darkest moments of the French Revolution, right? Grab that person that never did anything to me and rip them apart with the angry mob screaming and shrieking and covered in blood. I mean, that's how crazy the left has become. And you see this now. You see the way they respond to the president's diagnosis. You see the way they cheer on mobs attacking police officers in the streets or burning down buildings. They have developed the Democrats. Let's use the word the left, the Democrats, one and the same. A psychological sickness here over politics and the way they respond to the president, the first lady coming down with this diagnosis is yet more proof of that. And that's what's really troubling to me. I have full confidence in our president. He's a fighter. He's going to make it through this. And he is in very robust health. Thank God he has. He has been for a very long time. And the first lady is considerably younger than the president. And so she's at I mean, she'll probably again. Thoughts and prayers, and we don't know, 
But the likelihood is uh, in this situation that she'll end up with, you know, a sniffle and a sore throat for a week. Let's hope, you know, or less. But then there are people that are making this uh, deeply political about masks and they're going to drill down into this. And so this proves some thesis here because the president hasn't been uh, the most vocal about masking always and all the time. Uh, If you really believe, and when I say you, you know what I mean. If one believes, if a person believes that wearing a raggedy, multiple-use, dirty, covered-in-bacteria cloth mask sometimes, not what you're eating in the restaurant but when you walk into the restaurant, not in your home where you're around people, unfortunately, that you're most likely to get COVID from as family members. That's true. Intrafamilial transmission is really the biggest risk. It was, they thought, nosocomial transmission, transmission of the virus in the hospital, but it's really intrafamilial where a lot of people are getting this. And uh, if you really think that that little cloth on your mouth is a better precaution than what has been around the president, what the president has subjected everybody who meets with him to, they're doing daily testing for people in the White House. I got tested and they would not let me get into the actual West Wing. They would not let me actually sit down with the president until I had a negative test. Okay, but he has been masking more and more in the last couple of months. Right. The president finally said, "Okay, you know, we'll we'll make this concession. He has been masking up a lot more. And now he gets the virus. And now they're going to say, oh, but it's because he didn't do it. He didn't do what the science said. You're already hearing this. Nancy Pelosi taking a cheap shot. Maybe now he knows that we that you need to wear masks. As if we haven't had tens of thousands of people who were living in terror, constantly wearing masks, who still got sick. Who still got sick. But this is being right away politicized uh, about who believes in the signs. Trump is sick. Biden isn't. That's because Biden is wearing a mask all the time. No, it's because Biden is hiding in a basement. I mean, look, I. I agree. If you don't go outside, if you don't live your life, if you don't actually campaign for president in any normal way, you're at less risk for the disease. But if you're going to live your life and go out there, how much does having this porous cloth that is not sealed around your nose or your mouth on sometimes protect you? Maybe a little bit. But that's not the the takeaway. They want the takeaway to be, oh, there's some poetic justice in the president catching COVID. And I'm not even talking about the psychopaths that want the president to become really ill, hospitalized. And I'm just talking about people in general. They're saying, see, he got it because he didn't listen to the science. Really, morons? Because Boris Johnson got it. Other premiers of foreign countries have gotten it, including countries where they were all about masking all the time. Oh, the president had to keep being the president. And here's a narrative that may emerge out of this. Here's one that I see coming. We may, in fact, have a president who has been fighting with us through this virus for seven months, leading this country, not panicking people, being reasonable, working with states, making sure that the PPE was out there, making sure the virus vaccine was coming as quickly as possible. He may end up getting it himself because he was still out there, still being president, not hiding in a basement. And he'll beat this in a couple of weeks time and then have a few weeks to go out and show the American people 
that his story is our story. We're all going to beat this thing. We're not going to succumb to fear and hysteria. We as a country, as a people, will beat this virus just like the president of the United States and the first lady will. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Well, of course, as with everyone, we all receive that news with great sadness. I always pray for the president's family that they're safe. Uh, I continue to do so more intensified. We must have spatial distancing. We must be wearing our masks. We must have sanitation because it can help crush the virus and stop the spread. So maybe now that people who see the president of the United States with all the protection that he has and the first lady still having this exposure, it might be, as you say, a learning experience. But more than learning, it has to be something that is acted upon. This is tragic. It's very sad. But it also is something that, that uh, again, uh, going into crowds, uh, unmasked and all the rest, was sort of a, a brazen invitation for something like this to happen. Sad that it did, uh, but nonetheless hopeful uh, that it will be a transition to a saner approach to what this virus is all about. Yeah, she's praying for him, but she's you know also telling you the president was asking for it. That's her opinion. I wonder, was Boris Johnson asking for it too, the prime minister of the United Kingdom? I just want to know. Was he reckless? Was he against the science? He got it. You look at the list of people around the world. You know, was Tom Hanks reckless and against the science he got? I mean, you just look at all these different people that have gotten coronavirus. It's an airborne disease that's very contagious. Nancy Pelosi's whole premise here that we can stop the virus, we can stop the trend. That's a that's a lie. There is no evidence that that is actually possible unless you lock down the entire country continuously, which is insane. So they they don't seem to understand you either live life and there is risk from that living of life or you just keep not living life and you're safe from the virus until you start living your life again. This is the reality. Yeah, sure. If it was just as simple as wear masks, we'd all be done with this. We wouldn't have cases anymore because people have been wearing masks in places for months. Pelosi doesn't care. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We don't even know what's going on because all the lies. But here's the thing that's so irresponsible. He's going to Minnesota knowing that Hope had it. He's going to New Jersey knowing that Hope had it. Uh, The White House press secretary unmasked is giving a press conference. Nobody in the Congress is being notified. Uh, And so this is just rank irresponsibility and it's rank incompetence. And let's just stipulate he's lied about the science for six months, couldn't protect himself or his family. So how is he going to protect the American people going forward? And so I feel bad that he's sick. I want him to get better. Certainly, it's a tragic situation, uh, but we have to not let up on the gas if you want to remove him. We have to still discuss the racism, the destruction of the democracy, the demolishing of the institutions of our government, the voter suppression. All of this stuff has to be discussed now. I mean, the Mooch is a is a tremendous scumbag. I, I wanted you to hear that so you could know what a scummy fellow this is. And the president made him chief of his transition. The president has bad instincts about people that he puts in charge. We, we, that's established. Even the most ardent Trumpers have to go, oh, OK, OK, you want to play this game? The Mooch, Cohen, 
uh, Omarosa, you get on the list. These are people he gave real authority and power to. So the president has had some very bad decision making around that. Look, no one's perfect. I get it. I'm not I'm not trying to, to bash or, or, or dive into that right now. But I mean, the, the mooch, this guy here, he, he, he's just parroting what the Democrats want to hear. Right. This is if you want to be on MSNBC, this is what you have to say. The president's lied about the science. OK, like how? Notice how when, let's say, Fauci's out there saying, okay, don't wear a mask, especially outside, it's dumb. Wearing a mask if you're healthy doesn't make any sense. You don't need to do that. Oh, he wasn't lying. He just was wrong. If the president said something at any point during COVID, it's going to go away. Don't worry about it. We're going to be all right. He's lying. So the experts can get away with being factually wrong at any point in this. The experts, and I will not let this go, at least the ones that we see on TV who are doctors and public health and epidemiologists, uh, they would justify the BLM protests. Remember, BLM protests happen, huge spike in cases all summer, all across the country. But we're supposed to believe that didn't spread the virus. Right. The big biker rally up in the Dakotas that spread the virus, they said, was ended up not even being true. But. The BLM riots where people were showing up in close quarters, screaming for hours and hours. Right. When I say outdoor transmission isn't a risk, I'm obviously not saying you can go up to someone and spit in their face and you're outdoors so you can't get the virus. I'm just saying in the normal course of walking past people, if, if you keep six feet from somebody outside, the scientific evidence is there's basically zero chance. Right. There's like less than a lightning strike chance you're actually going to contract COVID-19 from walking past someone outside who doesn't have a mask on or and, and if you don't have a mask on. But if you're all packed together screaming, you know, whose streets are streets, you know, th- then you might put yourself at some risk. But I, I just really hate this too. Scaramucci couldn't protect himself for his family. What a scummy, what a scummy guy this fellow is. Really anything to just be a whatever benefits him the most. So Mooch, the Mooch is scummy. Don Lemon is just dumb. Here's Don Lemon. Play 10. Uh, Carl, in large part, uh, it's his own dereliction is um, partly to blame for this. He chose to go out to rallies. He chose to uh, downplay masks. He chose to not social distance uh, and and call it a hoax and so on and so forth. But, you know, again, it's horrible that the president has this, but he chose to handle this situation this way. Uh, people in the West Wing and the administration saying it's frowned upon to wear masks. You know, we saw the tape of Nancy Pelosi getting her haircut, walking around a salon, people working in there, no mask on a salon that was shut down because people can't get their haircut because, you know, even with a mask on, it's so dangerous. We saw the video of Diane Feinstein walking through the airport, no mask on in a private airport, of course, because she's super rich and important. But no mask on. The pilots have masks on. They have to. But Diane Feinstein, the rules are for the little people. Look, this is really getting into some some core psychological and I really think brain wiring differences between the left and the right. I I want to be and I think the conservative mentality is I think people that share my worldview, my view of life. I want to be as much in charge of my own decisions, my own life as humanly possible. And I do not trust people that there's no accountability for and don't give a crap about me to make decisions about my health and my life. Okay, that that's the ba- other people think, oh, if the mob, if the crowd says that this is what should be done, even if they're changing their mind every month, 
even if they're hypocritical because they don't actually do the things they tell other people to do, I'm, I'm going to do that because there's security in consensus. But it's actually a false security because there isn't a real consensus. But the president partly to blame. No, the president made a decision, an affirmative decision to go out and campaign and be, gosh darn, president of the United States. I want to say something else, but, you know, family show. Be the president of the United States even during a pandemic, to campaign, to take his message to the people. And I think that this is an example of how we all should be able to make choices in our lives. Okay? You don't want to wear a mask. You don't want to be around anybody. Stay home. Stay home until the vaccine has been tested for 18 months. We'll make sure you get all the food you need. We'll take care of those people. But to have everybody basically stay home, what are we doing? They agreed in the risk analysis in the early days that lockdowns and these restrictions until the vaccine were catastrophic, destructive and wrong. But this has become polarized. It's become political now. We got an election coming up, so they're not going to relent on this at all. They pretend like we didn't have these discussions. They pretend that no one really knows uh, what was said before and can't compare it to what is being said now. But I'm just here to remind everybody that the experts have been wrong time and time again, that they wanted us to create at one point a million ventilators. And since then, we found out that ventilators are a not a good treatment for this an absolute last resort. And with the way they were putting people on ventilators in the beginning, there was about a, a 50 percent chance that that person would die after being put on the ventilator. Like they didn't know very much. They didn't understand very much. And they were telling us just panic, lockdown, don't go outside. We have no idea how much real damage has been done to the economy yet because we haven't been able to normalize what stores are really going to open, what business models are really going to work. How many missed cancer diagnoses are there? How many, you know, they're not really tabulating the overdose numbers and everything at a national level. I'd be very curious to see how many people have become so depressed that they're suicidal because they're separated from people. There's this terrible story of a woman uh, senior citizens in her 90s in Florida, and she just stopped eating because she couldn't handle the isolation anymore. Isolation imposed on her. She's a healthy woman. She was a healthy woman. But, oh, my gosh, you might you, you might get COVID. So no one's allowed to see you. Story out of Florida just in the last week. Stopped eating, died. You know, that's where we are. We have seniors who are going on effectively self-imposed hunger strike because they're they're being abandoned by society because, God forbid, we make. Some look, we got to take some precautions, but you're going to not let anyone see their loved ones. You're going to have people locked down in, in nursing homes that can't have any contact with the outside world. We can't do testing and and basic precautions for seniors. No, it's just it's so much easier to say, wear a mask, shut up, stay inside, lock down. These people are desperate for control, control that doesn't exist. The virus is going to keep spreading. The virus is going to be all over the place. We have a vaccine coming. Hopefully it works really well. There is a possibility that we're going to have to deal with this even after the vi- uh, the vaccine, that there may be mutations. And this now becomes like the flu, a seasonal affliction that we have to deal with. What's really the answer? Are you going to wear a mask forever? You're going to work out with a mask on forever. You're going to go for all your jogs with a mask on the rest of your life for a disease that kills substantially less than one percent of the people who get it. And now as they're getting better at the treatments on it, too, that number keeps going down. I mean, really, the fatality rate that we've been talking about, 0.03, is the one that you most often, I think, see, 0.03, 0.04. That's for all age categories. You get under 50, it's like 0.0001. And 
That number is also going to keep going down because the therapeutics are getting better, because the vaccines will be a, a, a useful tool in helping to control this. But see, control is really the word we have to focus on here because the left wants to control you. They want to tell you what to do. And there are a lot of people um, who honestly go about their day to day lives with a tremendous amount of anxiety and a bit of cowardice and really think that the government is going to be able to protect them from all the bad things. If only the big mean people like me and you who believe in individual freedom and choice and liberty stopped wanting those things, the government would make them safe and warm at night. The government would provide for them and everything would be better. This is the fantasy that leads to tyranny, and unfortunately, it's a fantasy that about half of this country has fallen in love with. It's not real. We're going to continue to get dragged through this. If Joe Biden gets elected, it's only going to get worse. A national mask mandate. Think about that. It'll be enforced uh, in a way that's clearly selective. It'll be used as a, as a cudgel against. Remember, the red states. Oh, they don't believe in masks. They're so bad. The red states have, especially the large, heavily populated ones, had far better outcomes in this fight against COVID than the blue states have. But that's always lost in the conversation somehow. The worst places in the country are in the northeast of the United States, the bluest of the blue states. Somehow we're not supposed to pay any attention to that. Weren't we all wearing masks here in New York? Yes, we were. People want to spit on you, which obviously could actually transmit the virus. If you go outside, a beautiful sunny day, don't have a mask on. And we had the worst outcomes here. We weren't anti-mask truthers in New York City. I can tell you that. In the beginning of the pandemic, and I'm not ashamed to say it, I never left the house without a mask. I was wearing rubber gloves. But that was after having been on the subway four times a day during the maximum spread when no one even knew what the heck this thing was. We've forgotten everything, though. It's just panic and politics and the infliction of emotional distress on the population so that they don't push back and they don't have any willingness to say enough is enough. That's really the Democrat vision for your future. And they're trying to leverage the fact that the president of the United States, like many other presidents and prime ministers around the world, has COVID-19 to further ram all of this down your throat. It's really upon all of us to decide whether or not we're going to accept that. I say no. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You are second in line for the presidency. Has the White House contacted you about the continuity of government? No, they haven't. But I, that is an ongoing, not with the White House, but with the uh, the military, quite frankly, in terms of the uh, uh, or some officials in the government. But that you know, let us just all pray for the president's health. Thank God the vice president has tested uh, uh negatively and 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 the second lady as well uh so again uh th that continuity of government is always in place a lot a lot here actually it's it's somewhat subtle but there's msnbc asking nancy pelosi has anyone talked to you about how you know you might have to become the president um no because the president president is going to be fine uh, he, he's not going to be holding in-person meetings but He's just going to be not dealing with other people directly. He has devices. He has Skype. He has or not Skype, but you know, what I mean? video conferencing. They have secure stuff. Um, he has phones. Uh, this is this is not the you know, the, the president hasn't had a hasn't had a stroke where he's unable to be responsive. But the libs are already jumping to, oh, my gosh, 
maybe Nancy Pelosi will have to take over for a while, at least as president. Um, Mike Pence is fine. And Nancy Pelosi is almost 80. So believe it or not, even though she goes around with a mask for the cameras, she is also at risk from COVID. There really seems to be a mentality that comes out today from the media where, well, we know none of the none of the Democrats are going to get it. Um, New York City, full of Democrats. And a lot of us, a lot of us here, my fellow New Yorkers died from COVID wearing masks all the time, still died from COVID, still got it, still had bad health outcomes from it. I mean, you can tell they they really think, you know, that well, the Democrat, I mean, Nancy Pelosi's she's invulnerable because, you know, she's one of the good, smart, sciencey people. So she's at, at no real risk from getting COVID. But, you know, Pence. Oh, now, look, I know Pence has been in closer contact with the president. So people would say he's been around people who are COVID positive. But I can assure you, Nancy Pelosi's also been around people who are asymptomatic and COVID positive and hasn't known it. Everybody has. It's just a statistical certainty. And then you get into, oh, are you really so protected? Really? So protected from aerosols? You know that you can get it in your eyes, right? You can get it in your nose, too. I keep seeing people all the time now where their mouth is covered, but their nose isn't. It's like, well, there's actually a belief that your nose may, there may be more of the COVID virus in someone's nasal cavity than even uh, in their throat at some stages of this. But, you know, make sure that you're breathing through your nose out there without the mask. That This is, uh, this is what we're seeing all over the place. Could you imagine Nancy Pelosi even as acting president of the United States? It's a terrifying thought, but the libs find that to be that would be delightful to them. Uh, Pelosi, really one of one of the very worst examples of the contemporary Democrat mindset, a, a true limousine liberal, a true phony and uh, really no moral compass whatsoever. I, mean, I do think it's interesting that you have these Democrats, Democrat politicians who all feel the need to tell us how much they are they are praying for the president. I mean, that's what they have to say. They've also called him a traitor and wanted to throw him in prison. So I, I haven't I haven't forgotten that. Um, but at least they're smart enough in the short term to say what they know they need to say about this. Otherwise, any person of good sense, irrespective of their politics, would say, well, these Democrats are completely insane. These Democrats have completely lost their minds. Now, what does this mean? going forward for the debates, for the campaign trail. Um, that's, that is an area of focus I think is very interesting. The likelihood here is that there'll be people doing analysis for years to come. However, the election ends up happening and Trump's going to be on the ballot and this stuff they're saying about, oh, maybe he shouldn't even stay in there. I mean, this is wishful thinking from the libs. Dream on libs. The president's going to be fine and he's going to be there on election day and God willing, he's going to win. Um, but there'll be a lot of historical analysis of this after the fact where people say, I can tell you this much. If Trump beats Joe Biden in the election, there will be a Democrat narrative. Get ready for it. That the president garnered sympathy during this period that propelled him to win. Right now they're saying, oh, see, this is going to be terrible for Trump. Not talking about his health now, but politically going to be terrible for Trump because it shows how reckless he was. But if he beats Joe Biden, they're going to say, oh, but what really happened is everybody felt sorry for Trump. So they voted for him. Just watch. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. My initial reaction 
was this is great because so often these debates become parallel news conferences where one candidate answers the question to him, the other candidate answers the question to him. So when the president started engaging with Biden, I thought we're going to have a real debate here. It became clearer and clearer over time that this was something different and that uh, the president was determined to try to butt in and throw uh, Joe Biden off. Uh, you, you gave your statistics. I saw another Fox analysis that indicates the president interrupted either Biden's answers or my questions a total of 145 times, which is way more than one a minute. And, and he bears the primary responsibility for what happened. on. There were a lot of interruptions. That that is the true. There were a lot of interrupt. Now, Biden, I think, interrupted about 70 times. Trump, he says 140. So Trump, more interruptions than Biden. Biden interrupted him back. I mean, a lot of interruptions. That is that is a fact. I can't say that that's not a lot. But. I think that the biggest problem with the debate, if there could be any one thing, was the moment the president felt like it was a two on one, then he just then he just wanted to go bare knuckle and it was a free for all. And that happened very early on. It happened because the way that Chris Wallace, a Democrat who clearly wants a job at NBC News, uh, a, a Democrat interacted with Trump from the from the earliest phases of the debate, showed exactly what I used to deal with when I'd go on to represent a conservative point of view at CNN, which is that, oh, the moderator, the anchor, whatever. He's on this other guy's team. That that much was quite clear. He's on this other person's uh, side. And once you feel like that's the case, then things really get crazy. Then things really get nuts. Uh, And that's what happened. There was that. So the lack of a perception of impartiality by by Trump, which I think is completely founded, that was a big problem. But the even more obvious problem, perhaps, because that one, there's some subtleties The even more obvious problem is that the questions that were asked were just the topics were not very good. And the questions were clearly meant to attack Trump and they were dumb. We'll get into this white supremacist uh, fixation. That's, I think, fading today, but the media had it for a few days. But the whole way that this was structured and set up and the attacks on the, the way the questions that Chris Wallace uh, put out there were meant to undermine the president was very obvious. So, of course, he's going to react in in a way where he feels like he's in an ambush. And this, this is I, I can tell you this right now. Even if you're a really adept debater, and I'm sure many, many, many of you listening are debating two people is really hard. It's really hard because you have, as especially if you're a person who's generally a f- fair minded, you know, you want to give them equal time uh, or at least some time to respond. But when it's two people and you feel like it's two on one, well, now there, it's clearly not equal time. So now you're just going to fight for everything you have. Now you're just going to be in a position where you feel like they're throwing elbows, I'm throwing elbows too. And you got two people you got to hit back against. Uh, so the questions were a, a total travesty. I, I don't want to get too much into the debate aftermath. We already did that. But now it's the okay. what's happening in the next debates As you know, the vice president is scheduled to debate Kamala Harris uh, coming up on on Wednesday. Um, I think that will be interesting. Uh, I think that Mike Pence is a little bit of an undervalued asset to the administration. The guy is it's funny. So much of the criticism around Trump is he's not presidential. And 
Uh, Mike Pence could be the president in every movie ever made, right? I mean, Mike Pence is the guy you think of. His tone of voice, his demeanor, the way he looks, everything. I mean, it's like, this guy looks like he's the president. Straight out of central casting. Uh, and a very nice guy, too. All my interactions with him, I found him to be a very, very pleasant. And it seems like that's really who he is. And I think it's it's a, a it was a very I mean, you know, I criticized the president before he's made some bad choices about picks. He's also made some great choices. And I think Vice, uh, Vice President Pence is an excellent choice and has been a huge asset to the administration. I think Pompeo is a great choice bar. I mean, so, you know, credit where it's due always. Right. Let's be let's be honest and fair. Uh, so now what happens in the presidential debate, though, now that's that's an open an open question. I don't think anybody really knows. Uh, for one thing, there's all this talk about. And I said I kind of like the idea. And now I've gone back. So, you know, I, I changed my mind about these things or I evolve in my thinking because I, I was frustrated about all the crosstalk. It's not fun to watch crosstalk. As a viewer, this is one of the reasons I don't have Democrats on radio to argue it, because we're just going to start. It's it's I value your time so much that I don't want you to hear, you know, the back and forth of and you don't know what's being said. And they're like, what am I wasting my time here for? So crosstalk inherently is a frustrating. It's like the equivalent of watching a TV that has a fuzzy picture. I don't care what the show is. You know, you could be watching your favorite movie of all time. If there's lines going through the picture and it's fuzzy, you're like, ah, I'm not enjoying this. That's what crosstalk does in a debate and in an exchange on, on politics. So that was why I was thinking maybe a mute button would stop that. But of course, then the mute button, how that moderator and the moderators that Trump's going to do here are libs the next in the next round. I've never even heard of some of them before. I think it's fascinating who the commission on presidential debates chooses to moderate a presidential debate because I've never heard of them. I think it's likely they'll probably not be uh, so one sided in their questioning. I think it's likely they won't be so um, clearly favoring one side. That doesn't mean they won't favor, but I don't, I don't think they'll be as obvious. Chris Wallace, of course, doesn't think he was obvious. I think it was a disgrace. Uh, but it's also telling that Democrats really don't want Biden to go into another debate, which if they thought that Trump was such a barbarian and so terrible and so awful, wouldn't they want this? Right. I mean, you know what? I'm 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 just going to say it. I'm freakishly good at ping pong and I smoke people in ping pong all the time. I don't know why. Now, there are obviously some of you are like, look, I'm professional on the Olympic team. Yeah, you would beat me. But your average weekend warrior ping pong player can't hang with the Buckster. And if I beat somebody, they want to come back and they want to play. I'm going to say, yeah, sure, I'll I'll beat this guy before I'll beat him again. Right. It's pretty easy, pretty straightforward. Well, why wouldn't Pelosi, if Trump was such a an uncouth barbarian and and Biden did so well against him, why would she be saying this? Play nine. You know, people say, well, they should have had a button that turned one microphone off while the other person was speaking. Whatever it is, I think one and done, Uh, one and done. But I. When people run for president, that's president of the United States. Joe Biden will do. He's courageous. I never thought he shouldn't do it because I didn't think he would do well. I thought he shouldn't do it because I thought uh, something like this could happen. But but if we're up to you, one and done. (laughs) One and done. One and done. What did I tell you? Again, I don't like to be the guy that's always. Well, I kind of do like to be that guy. But I said people ask me if you go back to some of the roll calls in July. 
August. I was like, there's going to be one debate. There's got to be one debate. Biden's got to show up for it. Now with the COVID diagnosis of Trump and are we sure there's going to be another debate? I'm not certain. I'm not certain. I think the Democrats believe that they could get away with not doing it. And that's also one of the reasons they're attacking the uh, COVID precautions or lack thereof, they say, from the Trump side in this last debate to say, see, it's like a debating Trump is not just unpleasant because he's so mean, but it's also a health risk, right? This is the other thing that you now hear from people. And then there's Joy Behar. She's on television, so she can just tell you about politics. You don't know, Big Whoop. Here she is, play 18. You don't think Biden should show up to the debates, Joy, anymore? Is that true? Yes, I don't think he should do it. I think he should stay away. Uh, Joe Biden has nothing to gain from this. It's a fiasco. It gives Trump a platform to lie, to give dog whistles to his base, to uh, sort of instruct them to be violent uh, in this very sort of semi-subtle semi way, I'll say. There's absolutely nothing. Biden is too much of a gentleman to be, to be talking on the same stage with this Neanderthal. Look at what happened the other night when Trump attacked his son, Biden's son. Biden couldn't could have yeah. gone after him yeah. and talked about Ivanka, the consultant. But he did not do that because he's mm -hmm. a gentleman. Americans have seen enough. We don't need to see anymore. If you're still undecided out there, you need to see a shrink. You need to see a shrink. I think I think Joy needs to see a shrink. I think Joy's out there saying things that are just not true. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to compare Hunter Biden to Ivanka Trump. Good luck with that one, Joy. <laughs> see, see how that goes in the public eye. Yeah. One is a crackhead who impregnates strippers and pretends he's not the daddy of the baby after making lots of money from his daddy's connections. And the other is Ivanka Trump. So, yeah, just just saying, I don't think that really has quite the resonance that she thinks that it does. Biden. Biden's too much of a gentleman to be talking on the same stage with this Neanderthal. Okay, Joy. Okay, sure. Who listen? I, I want to meet a person who thinks that they should hear what Joy Behar thinks in politics. I want to meet this person and then ask them if they can tie their own shoes. Just just as an experiment. I just wa I want to know. I'm curious. It's like a sociological experiment. Like, you know, I just listen to Joy. I think Joy's got great advice and thoughts on things, says Joy. I don't see it. I don't see it at all. But <laughs> she's great for this show, though. You know, just because I, I talked a million. All right, I'll stop. I'll, I know a lot of you like, but good God, get a grip. Uh, yeah. Will there be another debate? I'm not sure. Will Trump win the next one? I think he would. If you see the uh, there's a there's a poll that was circulating. I think it was a CNBC poll, hundreds of thousands of votes. Now, it's not a scientific poll. OK, yeah. No, C-SPAN poll. Pardon me. Who won the first presidential debate? 69 percent with 325,000 votes in 69 percent. Donald Trump. I think maybe that's why they don't want another debate. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You know, Biden lost badly when his supporters are saying that he should cancel the next debate. Now that we want to change the rules, they want to change the rules. That's what they want to do and allow the moderator to cut off the microphone. Democrats always want to shut down free speech. That's what they want to do because they're terrified the American people will hear the truth. They want to rig this 
debate. They want to rig the election with the ballots. These millions of ballots that are coming in that nobody knows where they're coming from, who they're coming to, and who's sending them back. I'm not just running against Joe Biden. I'm running against the corrupt far-left media, the socialists, communists, and the Democrat Party, and the special interests who get rich bleeding off our country and bleeding it dry. Never forget, they are coming after me because I am fighting for you. So true. It really is true that they've tried in so many different mechanisms, so many different ways to change the rules at the last minute. And this is what they this has really become a a progressive uh, Democrat obsession. They want to make sure that they just change the rules of the game. They're afraid they can't actually win the game. The contest will not work for them. So they want to change the rules around it. Um, they, They completely dispense with any pretense that we've got these rules for a reason. And the rules have been agreed to. The rules are there because they're sensible, because they're fair to both sides. No, no, no. Forget that. Whatever it takes, anything to win. That's the approach. And that's also of of the Democrats. And that's why I view the Trump uh, response to all of this. I view President Trump's uh, feelings on not just the way he interacted with Joe Biden, but also how Joe Biden now wanting to duck a debate is indicative of the real feelings of Democrats. I think this is pretty obvious at this point. I think it's true, but we shall see if it ends up happening or not. Now we also have the uh, ACB situation, right? Where people have been saying, um, people have been saying that they should now defer or delay the ACB nomination based upon Um, based upon the president having a COVID diagnosis. Now, understand this. uh, She, I believe, already had COVID-19, as did her husband over the summer, and she's now fine, so she should probably have some degree of immunity to it now. Although now there's all these studies about how the antibodies wear off after a few months, whatever. Uh, But ACB, uh, that has nothing to do with the president. There's no reason. The Senate was able to conduct its business yesterday. The Senate should be able to conduct its business tomorrow. There's nothing about this that should make us all think that we don't uh, go forward with the process. But Democrats are desperate, right? They're, they've gone from it's not in the rules to now it's a COVID to once again, it's always for them about complaining about the process when it doesn't work for them and claiming the process is absolutely sacrosanct when it does. Right. A principle would be. The understanding of why things are the way they are, the reasons for that, and how it's fair to both sides, including when both sides disagree on something. With Democrats, it's purely about self-interest and whatever works in the circumstance, and that's how they approach it. That's how they approach everything. Uh, It's the way they feel about the debates, the way they feel about mail-in ballots, and now it's the way they feel about the ACB nomination. Um, I think it's we've actually reached a point here where the ACB, I initially thought that it would add, you know, we would, everyone's been making the same joke about this, a spinal tap, it'll take the dial to 11, but something like that, that it would just be the Sharknado of political clashes, right? Just every, oh my gosh, we got this presidential election with Trump, and then we've got the ACP nomination for the RBGC. And now I'm starting to think that maybe this is like, Another movie analogy. Remember in Shawshank when he uses the thound, uh, the thound, the sound, the thound, the sound of the thunder 
to a mask when he breaks open the sewage pipe with the rock. Great movie. Producer Mark, you've seen uh, Sawshank Redemption, right? Of course. Yeah, great movie. I mean, ridiculous, like doesn't, it's very unrealistic, but who cares? Great movie. I don't care. So uh, I really like the movie a lot. But, you know, he masks the, the pounding sound of the rock with the thunder. And I almost feel like right now, the ACB nomination, they're so but they've, they've put so much energy into Trump hatred that maybe, and I may regret saying this in a week or two, I'm going to admit this right now. Maybe they're just, you know, they've got their reserves of the lunatic libs, you know, off the main battlefield and they're about to rush out. I don't know. But it feels like they might have exhausted all resources and energy of hatred and insanity at Trump. So they just can't even, they want to make a total war situation out of the ACB nomination. But how do they go beyond the max? You know, how do you go beyond all out war, the full on frenzy? It doesn't seem clear to me how they would do that. It doesn't seem clear to me what they would do to go there. I'm not saying it's not possible, but I'm starting to think that maybe maybe the Trump not maybe the Trump election is the thunder that's going to mask the rock uh, breaking the pipe of the ACP nomination at some level. Like it's just they they can't do both they can't fight both of these wars effectively at the same time. They don't have, you know, like they're fighting a war on two fronts and they don't have the manpower to do it because they've gone all in against Trump. And that's why, I mean, Schumer, for example, is saying stuff like this. It's just such weak sauce. Play 13. No Dem has attacked Barrett over her faith. It's a diversion because they don't want to address the issues, including health care and including Roe v. Wade. I think Roe v. Wade, if Judge Barrett got on the court, could either be eliminated or at the very minimum, the horrible minimum, so greatly constricted that you'd never recognize it. Um, no, we're not avoiding it. I mean, that's crazy. First of all, the 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 <laughs> the claim that no one's attacking her over her faith. It's happening all over the place, all over the media. They're attacking her constantly, okay, about things that have to do with her Catholicism. So she, he's just, that's just crazy talk, right? That's a, but he knows that it's not a good look to attack, especially attack a woman, I think, over her faith. I just think the public views that as, you know, a Catholic mom. Oh, she, she's now, she's now a psycho weirdo Jesus freak. Is that what they're really saying? Not a good look, libs. Not a good look, Democrats. But the, now to say that, oh, well, Roe is, is under threat. Uh, guess what? Conservatives want it to be. Li- liberals act like if people hear that Roe v. Wade may be in jeopardy, everyone who supports the ACB nomination is going to be like, well, in that case, um, you have it backwards, Schumer. You gross, underhanded fellow, you. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I have to say, I've said it many times, and let me be clear again, I condemn the KKK. I condemn all white supremacists. I condemn the Proud Boys. I don't know much about the Proud Boys, almost nothing, but I condemn that. But he should condemn also Antifa. Antifa is a horrible group of people. They kill people. They What they do to people, and they're causing insurrection, they're causing riots. He doesn't want to do that, but the press doesn't go after him, and that's a really bad group of people. But I condemn them, and if I, can, if I say it a hundred if I say it a hundred times, it won't be enough because it's fake news. It's true. 
It won't be enough. It's not about getting an answer from the president. That was uh, Trump on Sean Hannity's show. And yeah, the president has said it before. He's saying it again. The people asking this question aren't trying to get an answer. It's an assault. It's an insult. The question is meant as an insult. Okay? So understand that. Be clear on that from the get-go. Um, once, once we've established th- that issue, th- then all of a sudden everything else becomes much more apparent. Then all of a sudden everything that follows from it, you go, oh, well, exactly. That's why the president gets so angry when they ask him this. Wouldn't you be angry too? I mean, we've gone over this. We've, we've talked about this. It, it, the whole thing is so absurd. Speaking of angry, though, Fox News, uh, some Fox News folks have had a tough week. Not a good, not a good one for uh, Chris Wallace or John Roberts, the White House correspondent. He got very, uh, very hissy yesterday outside the White House. Play two. And for all of you on Twitter who are hammering me for answering that, qu- for asking that question, I don't care because it's a question that needs to be asked. And clearly, the president's Republican colleagues a mile away from here are looking for an answer for it too. So stop deflecting. Stop okay. blaming the media. I'm tired of it tired of it <laughs> come on man really come on you're dumb enough to think that we have to get the on the record denouncing of white supremacists from a president who's denounced it a million times and you think people aren't going to hold you accountable for that look i know what it's like I, i've rarely but occasionally either asked a question or said something uh in media that i thought oh, that wasn't really my best moment you know i don't go around blaming everybody else for it though you know, John Roberts, you know, take the L, John. Just take the L. It's not a big deal. Just take the L. Don't don't get all don't throw a tantrum on national TV about it. It's a dumb question. It shouldn't be asked. It's uh, it's an offensive question. It's already been dealt with. And uh, we all know the game that the libs are playing here. But let, let's now go a little more specifically into this notion of forget about the president denouncing. Right. We've dealt with that. That's just a lib attack. Let's talk about white supremacy. Let's talk about why the Democrat Party, the liberal media, has uh, such an intense fixation on this. Um, well, for one thing, it, it, as I've been saying to you, it creates a false moral equivalence between the two political parties. That, well, we have our violent people, they have their violent people. And, right, and our violent people are the white supremacists and the Proud Boys. Now, there's a lot going on here. For one... Uh, the Proud Boys uh, and one of their founders is, is Gavin McInnes. I know Gavin McInnes. He used to be on Fox News a lot. He was on the show uh, Red Eye frequently, if you remember that show. Um, I've, I've talked to Gavin before. He's, he's a provocative guy, uh, but he's not a white supremacist, uh, at least by his own, by his, all of his own claims, what he says publicly. He's not a white supremacist. I believe he's actually married to a Native American, um, and he is somebody who, yes, he says things that I would not say, but he does not claim nor has I've never heard him claim to actually be a white supremacist. Uh, the Proud Boys, the organization that is affiliated with him. Uh, now, I don't know how I don't think he has anything to do with it anymore, but I believe he was one of the founders. He was also one of the founders of Vice. Remember that big you know, liberal uh, left wing media organization that was all sort of built on on venture capital money and fumes but uh, he's one of the founders of that as well 
But the Proud Boys organization, look, it's not my it's not my thing. Okay, I I wouldn't show up and want to fight Antifa. But here's what I do know about the Proud Boys. Uh, One is that my my friend Ann Coulter has had interactions with them, knows them and says that they essentially are a like a drinking club for men. It's for men only. It's a drinking club for men. And they're also patriots who will show up at events and not allow Antifa to threaten, attack, and, uh, and hurt people, right? They don't go outside of people's homes to harass them over politics. They don't loot stores. They don't burn down. They don't do any of these things that the left does and that the organized left under the auspices of either Antifa or BLM do. The Proud Boys do not do that. The Proud Boys have not yet, as an organization, And again, like I said, not my thing. I wouldn't do it. And I'm not taking any responsibility for things that they've said in the past or whatever. I'm just trying to I'm trying to analyze this group versus as it is versus what the media claims it to be. Uh, They have not killed anybody. I think that's I think that's a pretty profound fact in all of this. They've never killed anyone. Nope. Probably never killed anybody. I don't believe they've even ever severely injured anybody. I mean, maybe some cuts and bruises, a black eye here or there, but I don't believe they put anybody in the hospital. Um, I'm not aware of that ever happening. And if I'm wrong, I will come on and say I'm, I'm wrong. Um, BLM has murdered cops, murdered cops, executed them, assassinated them. BLM supporters have done that. Now, to be a BLM supporter, to be a part of BLM, what it's just professing your allegiance, right? And we do accept this with other extremist entities. If someone says, I'm going to go out and blow up a building on behalf of Al Qaeda. They're considered to be someone who is at least inspired by Al Qaeda. Right. Maybe they haven't sworn the uh, bayah, the oath of loyalty to Al Qaeda, but they're doing it as part of the organization. People have killed because of the ideology of BLM. Antifa has murdered people. Antifa murdered a Trump supporter in Portland a couple of weeks ago. Just cold-blooded execution. Okay. So in what way are these organizations really equivalent? Right. Uh, and, and I know for sure the Proud Boys have never engaged in a riot. They've never uh, engaged in looting a store, burning down a business. They've, they do not attack innocent people. BLM and Antifa attack innocent people because they feel like they have this license because of systemic oppression and the racism and all this stuff to just hurt people or threaten them or destroy their stuff. Now, the Proud Boys, in a sense, have become a kind of anti-Antifa. Showed up at, at speeches that conservatives will give. They'll defend them. And I, this is this was all till I, I talked to Ann last night. I had her on NYC radio and we had an, a discussion about this and she knows them well. And I know some of you are frustrated with Ann because she's not as supportive of the president. She's voting for the president. She wants him to win, but she uh, she feels like he hasn't followed through on some promises. And that's a, a conversation we can get into another day. But to call uh, the Proud Boys white supremacists and try to put them in the same category as neo-Nazis, I, ju- I don't see the evidence for that. I don't see how and that, that is the media claim that a guy with swastikas tattooed on his neck who believes in white racial superiority, which would mean a guy who is an evil moron, is the same as the Proud Boys. Like these are these are the same things. Now, I know the president has denounced them officially and said 
you know, because this is whatever. If he doesn't, it's like, oh, well, he's not denouncing the Proud Boys as white supremacists. And the Southern Poverty Law Center is a joke. It's atrocious. They think Dennis Prager's a white supremacist. They put Ben Shapiro's name in publications about extremists on the right, which is, you know, absurd. I wish they'd do that to me because it's great press, great PR. But anyway, Southern Poverty Law Center is a, is a disgusting left-wing hatchet job organization. That's what it's become. I know it wasn't always, but that is what it has become. Same thing with the ACLU. The ACLU is anti-liberty. It's just there to destroy Christianity and America. That's what the ACLU really stands for now. Um, but the Proud Boys, when you really look into this, there are some holes in the narrative from the left about it. And there's this obsession because they're the only visible so-called alleged white supremacist the media can point to. That in Charlottesville, which was four years ago. Where are all these white supremacist rallies? Where are all these people that are standing up and saying they're white supremacists? No, in fact, to do so is is social suicide. That's how America really feels about it. If you say you're a white supremacist and you're on and you think of yourself as on the right, ninety nine percent, you know, ninety nine point nine percent of conservatives are going to say, oh, that's disgusting. Don't talk to me again. That's the that's the reality of this country with white supremacy. But the Proud Boys, oh, they create this connection between the two things here is the chief of the proud boys in salt lake city utah for example and he is a uh i i I, he's a minority i can't remember if he's either hispanic or black but he is one or the other i just i don't recall right now off the top of my head and uh, here's what he says about whites officially on the record in an interview with cnn here's what he said about white supremacy play one I will go out and say that the Proud Boys as a whole, I will say this on behalf of the entire national organization, denounce white supremacy. We are in no way, shape or form white supremacists. We have a vetting system that just gets those guys out of our hair. We do not have anything to do with white supremacy. We do not have anything to do with the Ku Klux Klan. We denounce those organizations. could Could he be more emphatic? I don't know. I mean, I guess he could throw some curses in there, but it seems pretty clear to me that here you have a guy who is in a leadership position for this this loosely affiliated, but it is an organization. And he's saying, look, white supremacy is horrible and he's not white. In fact, I believe the national head of the Proud Boys uh, is a Cuban-American. So it's a white supremacist. Uh, If you listen to the media, here you have a white supremacist organization with not white people in the top leadership positions. For a true white supremacist, that would be a problem, right? Wouldn't that be an issue? If the whole group is about racial purity and these other evil and discredited ideologies? Wouldn't that be uh, an issue for? Uh, well, maybe they're not white supremacists. And like I said, I'm not sitting here saying that I, I don't know enough about the Proud Boys, what they do everywhere. But I do know other conservatives who say that to call them white supremacists is a slander. It's not true. And to compare what they do to what Antifa does is also slanderous and unfair. You know, the Proud Boys are not going to ruin your business. They're not going to show up and and demand that you say something because they think they have some political authority and power to do so no they you know go to drinking events wave around american flags and they don't let antifa threaten conservative speakers on college campuses and other venues that's that's what i know of them so far 
And I've been looking into this and talking to people who've spent a lot of time around them. I don't, I don't, I, I, I think I was at one D.C. drinking kind of like conservative drinking event. And there were some people who were proud boys who were outside of it. Like they had showed up to the venue. Um, I didn't, I don't know. I didn't talk to them. I didn't spend any time getting into I mean, I remember there was one guy who was like yelling, you know, I'm a proud boy because there was some Antifa that showed up, too. So that's that look there. They they this is kind of like a, a little bit like a political fraternity, maybe a political gang. Uh, but it's not it's not white supremacists and the media should be able to get this right. But they don't want to get it right because the threat of white supremacy is a necessary boogeyman for the Democrat media at this point, because now they can say, see, there's political violence on all sides. And in fact, they even go a a step further than that and will claim that most political violence after what we have seen for months now, most political violence in America actually comes from the right. That's that's really the claim that they will make. Most political violence comes from our side. It's stunning, but this is what they do. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. This is not to discount the idea that violence is an explicitly partisan idea. But right now, the organized violence is coming from white supremacist groups. They are gathering together. They used to gather together on places like Facebook, but now they have to go to deeper, darker corners of the web. They make events and they tell people we're going to go you know, beat up the left here. The, the, the initiation process with the Proud Boys, the very last step is to commit violence on behalf of the Proud Boys. That's what this is about. So, yes, you know, Antifa is a violent ideology that, you know, pushes back against what they deem to be fascism. But the organized groups that are committing domestic terror in the United States, according to Donald Trump's own intelligence agencies, uh, that's white supremacy. That's the problem right now that we not just uh, extremism researchers but the actual officials you know trying to tamp down this stuff that's the problem yeah um no no sorry not 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 gonna do this thing antifa thinks they're pushing back on fascism well they're a bunch of delusional lunatics because what they're really doing is attacking police officers so unless we're gonna have nbc's extremism correspondent here Explain how cops in America are fascists, which I think a lot of the libs do want to believe they, they will go along with this absurdity. Uh, Antifa is engaged in organized violence. Antifa has a book called the anti-fascist handbook that explains their whole ideology and history. They organize online. They show up on mass. They attack people, businesses, strangers. They are a paramilitary terrorist group operating in the United States. They've been doing it now for months on end, and they've actually been doing it stretching back for many years. And our own media whitewashes the whole thing. What do you mean? There's no. Oh, yeah. They think they're pushing back on fascism. Well, they're wrong. They're lunatics. They're psycho libs who need to get a grip and get a job. Get a girlfriend or a wife. I mean, really? That's the truth. A lot of incels. I'm just going to say it. A lot of incels in this Antifa movement. You see these guys they are getting arrested and stuff. You're, just tell a bunch of losers, bunch of losers. You know, I, I can't imagine anybody 
who has not been completely brainwashed hearing this NBC News report on how, you know, that the organized violence comes from the right. uh, What's the horizon we're talking about here? Are they looking back 20 years and saying that, you know, that that right wing extremists overall have accounted for more? Well, what counts? What counts as a left wing extremist? That's another question that's worth asking. And uh, police assassinations, shouldn't that go under the left wing category? And they, they also used to do this thing of discounting. You know, they'd say right wing violence minus 9-11 worse than any other ideology in America. Yeah. You know, and without Pearl Harbor, we wouldn't have gotten into World War Two. What exactly are they saying? Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Reject David Duke. Rejected David Duke. Uh, I've rejected the uh, KKK. The Do you want white supremacists to vote for you? No, I don't at all. Not at all. Racism is evil, and those who cause violence in its name you had are criminals. People, and and I'm not talking about the neo Nazis and the white nationalists. He because spoke they should out be condemned against hatred, bigotry, and violence, and strongly condemned the neo. Must condemn racism, bigotry. And white support. Any group of hate, I don't like it. Any group of hate, I am, whether it's what? The Ku Klux Klan. I totally disavow David Duke. How much more of that does he have to do? It's a montage courtesy of Reagan Battalion there, and you just have to wonder. Right, this is now, this is bad faith to ask the question, to keep asking the question, right? They just keep saying it. They're convinced Trump's a white supremacist. Convinced. Remember, they were also convinced that Mitt Romney, milk toast Mitt, as we should call him, was giving uh, people cancer and was a terrible person. I mean, I think the guy's not really all that conservative and you can't count on him in a bar fight or a political fight. But I don't think he's some evil monster who gives people cancer and throws grandma off a cliff. But that's what they were saying and, and abuses dogs and was a bully in high school. If these are the things they said about him. But their favorite is is the the white supremacist attack. And it is like being called a witch during the various scares. We often think of the Salem witch trials in this country uh, for obvious reasons. And when we think of uh, people being accused of witch of witchcraft, but it existed in uh, medieval Europe for centuries. And there would be these uh, these frenzies, these panics where somebody would say that there was witchcraft in a town. And a lot of women were burned at the stake over this. This was not a an isolated thing that happened just in. In Salem, Massachusetts, a lot of women were burned at the stake and uh, it went on for centuries. And it was really just the, the frenzy and and rage of the frightened and stupid mob, con, you know, c- consolidated into this one issue of witchcraft. But you have the same the same thing. I mean, the crowd is monstrous, right? Crowds act in ways that individuals would not. They feel empowered. They move. I mean, Gustave Le Bon has a, a wonderful a treatise on this about the madness of, of crowds. And we continue to see this happen in this country around Trump and around the the imaginary white supremacists that are constantly menacing all aspects of American life. And remember, they have also expanded the term white supremacy to be all aspects of the system that the Democrats view as oppressive. So how, how can you even prove that there isn't really that much white supremacy when they're going around saying, oh, no, our educational system is white supremacist. Uh, our, you know, the banking system is white supremacist. The 1619 Project of the New York Times with, you know, Hannah Nicole Jones as the main author, 
which now claims that it was not trying to reset the American founding of 1619, even though that was explicitly what they said about it when they launched the project and for many, many months afterwards. Uh, but they claim that uh, our capitalist system is rooted in white supremacy and the protection of slavery and the exploitation of human beings, of, of black human beings in this country. Uh, that that is a I read the essay. I mean, that is what the 1619 Project says. So there's so much white supremacy, according to the new rules and definitions that you say, if it's everything, well, then where is it really? If it's in all of our systems, then what, what are we supposed? How are we supposed to tackle this? But what are we supposed to do? They don't even they never get to that. Obey or else. And they'll throw the allegation at you. It's a bit like the Inquisition. Right. Obey or else. Uh, obey or else will ruin your business. Will destroy your reputation. We will punish you. We will immiserate you and all those around you. OK, that's that's what we want as a country. That's where we are. That's what we're being pushed into. Uh, you know, they're they're really just getting more and more unhinged as we get closer to this election. I can't really envision what's going to happen if Donald Trump wins, because the left, I don't know, maybe they'll be so upset. You know, when you're so angry that you're actually I don't know if you've ever had this before, but you're so angry or emotionally distraught that you all you can do is just sort of stare and be quiet because you're overcome. Maybe there'll be a little bit of that for a day or two with the Democrats, and then there'll be the destruction and the rioting and all the madness because the Trump presidency has really been that bad for all these people. That's the other part of this that I'm always pretty amazed by. I'll talk to Democrats. I've got Democrat friends still, and I'll talk to Democrats, and they'll say how horrible everything is with Trump, and I'll say, what exactly, what is it that he's done that has really made things worse for you. What is it the president has said or what? I, I'm sorry. Forget about said, because that they'll have a lot of a lot of things they'll say about that. But what action has been taken that has really harmed people in this country in a way that is is worthy of this level of upset from the libs? And they never have an answer. They'll usually mutter something about Russia and Charlottesville. And these are all just these are all creations of the Democrat media. These are all just narratives they're they're fabrications there's nothing there what is the action it's almost like the left is upset with him for not starting an unnecessary war killing a lot of people in that country and losing a lot of our own soldiers it's almost like the left is upset at him for not dictating more to businesses uh taking more money from them putting more reg or onerous regulations on them uh, I, I try to think of what really is, is so horrific and why they they have this mentality. You want to ask, you know, where did where did the mean Trump abuse you guys so badly? What What is it that has made you this way? I never felt this way about Obama. Yeah, I thought Obama was breaking constitutional norms and he wasn't as great and smart and perfect as the media was always saying he was. And he was pushing socialism and he's got, you know, just bad economic concepts and doesn't really understand that stuff. But. I, mean, I don't think he was some monster who wanted everyone's children to die. They really believe that about Trump. They really think this stuff. I mean, you can't find levels of exaggeration that go beyond what their fevered dreams of Trump are already conjure up. Uh, I mean, here, here you go. You've got over at MSNBC, a guy you got to hear. This is one of their analysts, national security analysts, supposed to be smart, supposed to know some things. Play six. 
And over the next 33 days, what's not on the ballot is merely a choice between Republicans or Democrats or Trump or Biden. Actually, what's on the ballot is a choice between democracy or whether or not we're going to revert to some Russian form of dictatorship or autocracy where our democracy is undermined. It's long been an ambition of Putin. It's long been an ambition of Russian state propaganda to show the world that American democracy doesn't work, that actually the people can elect their representatives and that this peaceful transfer of power cannot occur. And that, of course, is used to justify Putin staying in office for 10, 12, 16 years, which is exactly the kind of rhetoric that Donald Trump is now talking about on the stand, saying, I'm going to stay in office for 16 years. And his effort, make no mistake, is to is to undermine the ability of the American voter to have confidence in our democracy. He wants people to stay home. He wants his white supremacist gangs to come out, sow violence if necessary to prevent people from going to the polls under the guise of poll watching. I mean, this guy really is 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 having a, some kind of a mental breakdown on air. What is he what is he talking about? What's on the ballot is a choice between I know this is standard fare over at MSNBC. People are watching this all day. This is the quote. What's on the ballot is a choice between democracy or whether or not we're going to revert to some Russian form of dictatorship or autocracy. What? In what way is Trump a dictator? Let's have a reality check here. We're going through a pandemic that state governors in blue states and even Texas a little bit. I mean, some of the red states haven't been great here either. But we're going through a pandemic where there's a huge opening for government overreach and real dictatorial power. New York's governor Cuomo has been given dictatorial power by the legislator. He's in a state of emergency. It lasts a year. He can do whatever he wants. I mean, if he wanted to arrest people for not doing 10 jumping jacks every morning when they wake up, because that's going to you know, raise your circulatory system and help you fight COVID, you probably do it. That's how completely unhinged people are in the face of this and how much they'll trust Democrat status to enact their will. Trump is allowing states to make a lot of their own determinations about this. He wants people to return to normal life. He wants people to have as much freedom as they can have while being somewhat cautious and safe in dealing with this all. And we're still talking about how he's a dictator. We gave him the op- this has been a huge opportunity for him to be an autocrat and seize power, the whole covid thing. And he's gone in the opposite direction. So we have tested out this thesis. And now this is a thesis that is only believed by idiots, by people who are just not very smart, not very bright. They've had a lot of instruction, but it has not been it has not translated in their minds into both knowledge and wisdom, which results in good judgment. They don't have it. This guy's some national security analyst at MSNBC saying the dumbest stuff I've ever heard in my life. Revert to dictatorship or autocracy. Anyone really believe that? Do any of you think for one second if the president refused to leave office, if he really did lose the election, that Republicans would not say, okay, this is too much. We don't, you know, we, we got to. No, of course not. Right. Of course, we wouldn't allow the president to stay in office if he lost the election because we, we actually believe in the system. You see, the Democrats, it's, it's like dealing with somebody who has no reason or accountability. They're just always in hysterics. They want to change the system. They want to undermine the system. But the real threat to the system is Donald Trump. And they don't see any incoherence in this. They, they don't see any uh, any lack of of sanity. 
Oh, or they want to they want to change the system. They also want to set up a kind of you could call it official deep state commission to vet presidential candidates before they can run for office. Here's the former counterintelligence chief of the FBI. And look, Comey has taken the FBI's reputation and poured a bunch of gasoline on it, you know, lit it on fire and then uh, just done the same thing over again. He has ruined the FBI's reputation for being a nonpartisan body. Whatever you thought about that before, it's an it's an entirely unserious claim to make now. No, no one really thinks the FBI is uh, at the top echelon a politically neutral organization that can be trusted on these matters. But here's former assistant FBI director Frank Figliuzzi uh, talking about a deep state commission. He doesn't call it that. Play five. So I suggest this, Stephanie, we've got to have a national discussion about how we vet a presidential candidate. We screwed this up, whether it's the media not digging deeply enough, whether it's a time to have a discussion about a bipartisan committee that demands tax returns, make that a requirement or exposes um, financial pictures for candidates. But we we got this wrong and this can't happen again. Wait, now we're going to pretend that the problem is the media and he's that that soundbite's actually even a little longer and he makes more explicit. His view is that the media wasn't tough enough on Trump, didn't dig deep enough on Trump. Not only was the media psychotically opposed to Donald Trump and still is in this upcoming weeks away election. But they created lies to try to destroy him. If that's not tough enough, what is for this guy? They destroyed their integrity. They eliminated any doubt about their partisan bias for a, for a person who's intelligent enough to see things for what they are. And he's saying that the problem is that they didn't vet the president enough. He also goes on in this uh, little moment. He's on I mean, MSNBC. is really it's like watching a lunatic asylum. I mean, that's what you're seeing on television all the time. He, he goes on to talk about how it's what's not in. And I said this. I was half kidding. But right after the tax return. Oh, remember the tax return story? That was last weekend. No one even remembers it anymore. But it's what's not in the tax returns that's so concerning. It's what's not proven about Russia collusion that we have to find now. You cannot convince these people to stop the madness. You cannot convince the libs to stop being crazy. And we just have to deal with that. We just have to work through it and defeat them. The only justice for Trump in the face of all of these lies comes through victory. Everything else is just conceding to madness. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Here's a hard and fast principle, folks. Anyone who tapes a person who trusts them and tries to use what is believed to be a private conversation between a two friends, two confidants, two colleagues for leverage later on or for publicity later on is scum. It's a scum move. No other way to say it. No other way around it. It's a disgusting, cowardly, dishonorable thing to do. And someone did it to the first lady. Not a surprise. Someone who worked on her staff. This uh, this atrocity uh, known as Winston, Ms. Winston Wilcoff. 
what's her first name? Who cares? But it's gross. Stephanie Winston Wolkoff. Ugh. And everyone's like, oh, listen to the first lady. She curses in this surreptitiously taped audio. Yeah, I'm an adult. I'm going to tell you, I never curse on this show and I never will. But I do curse in my private life. So if some tape ever emerges of me dropping F-bombs, I'm telling you right now, I, I'm a salty language person where appropriate. What, what does that mean? We, we all I mean, I've, I don't I know very few people that aren't dropping a curse word here or there when they're conversing as adults. You know, not in front of kids, not in a professional setting. No, no, there's there's some things that. But what, what's the big reveal here? No, they just just betraying the first lady. I mean, here's I'm playing the audio is everywhere. So it's not like I'm giving you some, uh, you know, insight here that everyone doesn't already have who has access to the Internet. Um, but I mean, here's producer Mark. Just play some of it. They say I'm, I'm complicit. I'm the same like him. I support him. I don't no. say enough. I don't do enough. No. It's, where, it's, where I am, I put the, I'm working like a asthma, asthma. I know. Christmas stuff that, you know, who gives a f- about Christmas stuff and decoration, but I need to do it, right? Yeah, but Correct? 100%. You have and no then, choice. And, okay, and then I do it, and I say that I'm working on Christmas, uh, planning for the Christmas, and they said, oh, what about the children? They were separated. Give me a break. The, uh, where, where they were saying anything when Obama did that? I know. They, do, I cannot go. I I was trying to get the, the kid reunited with the mom. I, I, I didn't have a chance. Needs to go through the process and through the law. I like the first lady more after this, i got to tell you. First of all, yeah, it's probably annoying to be the first lady and be in charge of all the White House Christmas stuff. Like, she's not an interior decorator. She doesn't care. Can she, did somebody else do that stuff? But, oh, she's expected to as the first lady because of tradition. Okay, you know, she's doing her job and she doesn't complain about it publicly. But this is to a confidant who's betrayed her because the confidant is scum. Uh, but, and then she talked about the kids. She's like, they weren't complaining under Obama, which is true. They weren't complaining about this under Obama. And she's like, look, I'm trying. Everyone's, you know, she's under a lot of heat. The media treats her horribly. They really do. Fine. She's a little frustrated about it. I, I love how this is. Oh, look, the American people, the first lady's cursing and, and complaining about how people you know, treat her in the media. Maybe now voters will turn on her. No, no. But this is, you know, here we go. It's, it's an October surprise. You know, it's going to be an October surprise every three days for the whole month here. But it's all bull. It's all nonsense. Melania Trump's done a very nice job as first lady. Okay, she's not, you know, speaking down to people like other first ladies have in the past. She's not uh, being a pain in the butt doing her job. She's letting it fly on a private conversation. Good for her. Call me. We can talk about politics anytime and I won't betray her trust. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Roll Call Friday, hit it. Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Roll Call, everybody. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. Don't forget, go to BuckSextonBook.com. Get a copy of the Socialism Survival Guide. Eight radical predictions that will come true after this election. Let's see how many of them I get right. Mostly about the economy, about socialism. Uh, I do predict, well, I predict who wins the election. So you can 
check out the book for that. And what happens after the election win? Uh, BuckSextonBook.com. You can get your copy there. Please do. And uh, yeah, with that, Bruce and Mark, any fun weekend plans? Yeah, me and the wife are going uh, to a Sangria and Sliders event at some winery in Jersey. That legitimately sounds delightful. Yeah, there's going to be a live band. It's all outdoors, you know, all that social distancing stuff. And it sounds fun. Finally doing something. Oh, man, Sangria and Sliders. I, I got to tell you, I have gotten, I'm going to sound like a kid who's breaking into the Manischewitz at his friend's, uh, what do you call the... Um, party when you're 16 mark I used uh, to go sweet to 16 no 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 no. for, for the, the jewish oh that's um, when you're 13 that'd be a bar or bat mitzvah yeah, yeah yeah bar mitzvah bar mitzvah sorry that's what i meant yeah no quinceaneras when you're 15 and spanish culture bar mitzvah bat mitzvah yeah i'm just saying like like a kid who broke into the manischewitz and got drunk which may or may not have happened to me at a uh, at a friend's bar mitzvah you went with manischewitz it's not good not good wine not good but uh Sangria, I've gotten lit on sangria before. It can be fun, man. Every Thanksgiving, my in-laws make like a big jug of sangria. Oh, it's delicious. Great, yes. Yeah. It's, and because it's foreign, I feel like people aren't allowed to give you... It's basically like a fancy wine cooler, <laughs> but it's delicious. I mean, it's just basically wine with some fruit. rum and some yeah. fruit. Yeah. It's delicious. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's kind of what a wine cooler is. Fruit flavoring is and a little bit of rum and, a, you know, and a, yeah, I'm just saying. I didn't know there was rum in wine coolers. Well, no, there's not rum, but sometimes they'll put a little bit of grain alcohol in it to, uh, yeah. you know, punch it up a bit. Sure. Yeah. Ah, uh, speaking of which, Zima, I miss those days. I miss the '90s. I really do. I think the '90s are great. Like the late '90s, it's really the high. That's really the high mark for America. 1996 to 2000 was like as good as it gets in America. But anyway, great music. Go back listen to the the tunes in the '90s versus what's going on today. Anyway. I know. I'm not going to get into a whole get off my lawn right here. By the way, did you wake Green Day up? What do you mean? Well, it's October. They like to be woken up uh, when September ends. Their tunes are super catchy. Their politics are horrible, just like Rage Against the Machine. Great music to work out to. Not somebody that I want to hear from politically, but the tunes are nice. You brought up 90s music, so I made it that joke. No, I appreciate that. No, no. Is there a 90s band that you still celebrate? What do you mean still celebrate? And you still listen to this stuff. Oh, the Backstreet Boys, of course. Ah, look at you. You really have a trust in this audience. You'll you'll cop to liking the Backstreet Boys. There's I, nothing I wrong with liking the Backstreet Boys. Nothing. nothing ain't, ain't nothing wrong with it. Ain't nothing wrong with it. I'm also going to tell you right now that um, uh, I asked a question. I don't know if you saw this, Bruce Marcus, last weekend on social media. What is the movie that you know is ridiculous but you love anyway, and you don't care what anybody says about it. You're always going to love it, even though you objectively understand. It can't be that people would say, oh, well, like, Back to the Future. I'm like, Back to the Future is a great movie. What do you mean? Like, I mean a movie that, that you would be, that you're, you're, you're embarrassed at how much you like it, but you don't care. I don't know if there is one. Maybe really? Adam Sandler? Just in yeah, general? That, would count. that would probably count. But that he's made probably... some really good stuff, and then he's made some really bad stuff. Yeah, like if you told me that you love, um, what's the one where he's Jack and Jill like, want to touch the that one? His worst movie ever is Jack and Jill. Well, I haven't seen that oh, one. You but shouldn't. you know the one where he's like want to touch the. Uh, can I say? Can I? I can say Heine on radio. Yeah, of right? course you can say Heine. Want Which... to touch the Heine? That thing. Where? What's that movie? I don't know what movie that is. 
Billy Madison. Billy Madison. Oh, that's a good like movie. if you love Billy Madison, that would count. That's a bad movie. Like it's fun, and I've seen it, and I enjoyed it, but it's a bad movie. I mean, that probably describes most of Sandler's '90s movies. You know, a couple good ones, but most of them are just hilarious. I think Happy Gilmore funny. holds up pretty well. <laughs> pretty well. Yeah, but is it a good movie technically? It's like not. I don't think it's a totally silly. Like like the movies that I had in mind. Um, I love the Masters of the Universe movie with Dolph Lundgren where he plays He-Man, which is just bonkers. It's like uh, it's like an acid trip. It doesn't make all of a sudden there's in like some suburban town. There's like monsters and He-Man and there's spaceships. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's kind of great, though, for what it is. I don't watch movies like that. Well, maybe you should expand your horizons a little bit. Big Trouble in Little China, definitely in this category, because it's just in a it, the whole movie. It, nothing makes any sense, but it's great. I love it. Eddie. I prefer liking watch, watching movies that I like number one and that are good number two. You've never seen Big Trouble in Little China? No. What is that? Oh my gosh! I have so much to teach. I really do. Oh, you know what actually comes to mind? The scary movies. That would count. That if counts. you love scary movie, that movie is absurd. I, mean, I don't it's, love it's, them, but they're absurd. All right. Not I like them. Shot. The other, the other like, big entries, I'm trying to think of the ones that kept coming up for people. Um, the uh, Flash Gordon series with Queen doing the soundtrack. That's definitely up yep. there. The movie Labyrinth with David Bowie. That definitely is, is in the category. Some said The Rock, but I'm, I, I think The Rock is just a badass movie. I don't think I... Have you seen... You've I, seen Ted, right? Oh, with the little bear? little bear. There were a few scenes in that movie where I I am embarrassed about how hard I laughed. Actually, oh, even in retrospect, I loved both so. of them so much. I, I'm not embarrassed to admit it. I love them. Um, I will just say the ch- the checkout scene from the grocery store <laughs> in the first one, <laughs> was, and it's not for kids. This is not a movie no. for the children. But the checkout scene, I I, I was. That I don't know what it was. That just sometimes something just really gets you. That really that was it's so gross and so over the top. That I found it really funny. Uh, all right, all right. Let's let's roll call it up. Let's roll call it up. TJ Buck. I'm sure Trump's positive COVID is the only thing that will be talked about. Personally, I don't think it means much. Assuming that he has a speedy recovery. In my opinion, the biggest implication is if it will push their next debate back at all. The good thing is that Trump has the next two weeks to do nothing but debate prep. Whether that debate is held in person or virtually is still up in the air. However, if I were Trump, I would just accept the new Mike cutoff rule. And during the debate, when he gets cut off, just visibly pull out his phone and start live tweeting. The moderator may ask what he's doing at some point. He can simply reply, hey, if you're going to silence me, I'll just go around you. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know. I, I, I like where your head's at on this one. I don't think he should live tweet during the debate. Some people might find that a bit disrespectful. But I, I also agree with you. I think that the president's going to... It'll be quite a uh, change, I think, in a lot of people's perception of this. president's 72 years old, 73 years old. And uh, he's... He is... Um, I, what's the word? You know, he, I don't think his weight would be considered a major risk for what they're talking about. They say, you know, a, uh, weight being a risk factor for COVID, but he's with the guy. Hey, the guy likes a good cheeseburger. I know. So do I. I don't know what else to say, but I, I think if he gets through this uh, pretty quickly and without too much 
Oh, 74, actually. Wow, he's 74. Um, then I, I think that he will remind a lot of folks that we don't have to live in fear of this. That will be will be OK. I, I think it might be a really a, a big positive for the public perception of how we can get past COVID-19. So that that part of it, I think, is a really good thing. Uh, Gentry. Hey, Buck, not to beat a dead horse or anything, but I realize just what an amazing example of negative press spin we just got recently. I know it happens so often now that it's like white noise, but when they really step in it, that is what you want to point out. The New York Times story was spun in an effort to make Trump sound like a monster for not paying more than he was legally bound to. At no point was an accusation of lawbreaking made that I heard. Wouldn't the actual story be that after four years of leftists insisting our president was enriching himself, using the office and taking untold sums of Russian dark money, that that particular narrative was debunked? Well, yes, Gentry, you're approaching this as a rational person who wants the truth and wants to get to the facts of the case. That's not the purpose of all these media narratives. The the media narratives are not put in place because people want to know what's true. It's put in place because they want a certain outcome. And the outcome is the president to be damaged and for him to lose reelection. And if they can even stop it for the president, not even to make it to reelection. I mean, that that's what the libs are out there doing. That's what they're saying. Zach writes, Buck, how do we get President Trump to calm down at this next debate and show how he can be professional and make his point? I feel that we need from him to appeal to the undecided independent voters and even the middle of the road Democrats who don't like the direction the Democratic Party is heading in. Zach, uh, you make a fair point here. Um, I've said similar things about how I wish the president had interrupted a little bit less, a little toned down. But I also understand that it's not going to be perfect. And, you know, Trump's going to be Trump, folks. This is just who he is. So on, on one level, I feel like it's not useful. It's not helpful for us to sit around and uh philosophize about a kinder gentler trump debate performance because he's gonna no one's gonna tell him how he's gonna debate joe biden on that stage really uh he's gonna be the ultimate arbiter of that but i I look the c-span poll was interesting i mean when you're talking about over 60 percent of people thinking the president clearly won and about 10 or 15 percent i think in that poll i don't remember now said neither side won so i mean Trump had a solid chunk of people overall who, you know, either they think it was a draw or he won a, pr- a pretty small minority thing. Biden won. That was even it was even more so than I had anticipated. Jay Buck, Joe Biden, FBI Director Ray and others on the left keep claiming that the rioting and violence are actually being perpetrated by right wing white supremacist groups, which are posing as Antifa in order to infiltrate peaceful BLM marches and turn them violent. Question, if this were true, then why aren't these Democrat mayors governing, doing everything they can to put down the violence? If these are actually right-wing agitators, you'd think the Democrats wouldn't tolerate them destroying their cities, but they are. Love the show. Thank you, Jay. Tell producer Mark that his favorite BK sandwich, the Whopper, actually has mayo and ketchup. Shields high. Is that true, producer Mark? Uh, first of all, I don't eat Burger King very often. It's probably been years since I have. Second of all, I'm a pro at hating mayonnaise. I ask for no mayo on anything, even if there isn't even a chance that mayonnaise would be put on that sandwich. Huh. 
What is your favorite fast food chain? Uh, I guess Chick-fil-A, if we're counting that. But other than that, probably Wendy's. I got to say, I'm pretty, I'm pretty partial to Shake Shack. I used to be an In-N-Out guy, but Shake, I've become... I've kind of I've started cheating too much on In and Out with Shake Shack, and now Shake Shack's like moving in with me, All and right. we're getting a dog together. You Shake know what I mean? Shack is not fast food; it is incredibly slow food, actually. But it's really good. It's really good, but I call that like in more of the Chipotle category, like fast casual. Huh. Hmm. Oh. Yeah. Probably made with better and quality ingredients than uh, you know McDonald's yeah. Wendy's. Type. Shake Shack's good. It's good. No, I'm not saying it's I, I, actually not my favorite burger. Five guys in that category would be my favorite burger. I will say that there was a five guys in D.C. that in my in my reckless youth in my 20s, when I was the, but a single buck working at the CIA and chasing ladies all weekend, uh, I would get I would get absolutely ripped sometimes and then wake up Sunday with a vicious hangover. And I don't know what it is. They put in those five guys, burgers and fries. But when you had a bad hangover, it was like food of the gods. Yeah. So greasy, so bad for you, but so delicious. Yeah, it was pretty damn good. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, next up in roll call, we got Jay. Oh, no, we, I didn't answer Jay. I was too busy talking about delicious burgers because I'm getting hungry. Um, but Jay's point is very good, which is that if it were, in fact, right wingers destroying the cities and doing all the violence we've seen in these riots, which is a completely absurd, I mean, a, a, a wildly absurd claim. But if it were right wingers, then uh, what would be what would be the compunction? I, I use that word a fair amount. I, it's probably a hesitation is probably a better word uh, or at least a word people might appreciate more. Uh, hesitation to bring in the National Guard and put down all these crazy white, sorry, right wingers. And the answer is, of course, well, that's why they won't do it, because it's Democrats. And they don't want to have people using truncheons and billy clubs on their base, so to speak. So, Jay, very good point, exposing why the left is full of it. I like it. Very astute. And you love the show, so clearly you have excellent taste. Uh, Aaron. Hey, Buck and producer Mark, I think it's worth mentioning to the libs that the same poor old Joe uh, who complains about how rough Trump was in the bait is the same guy who would shout down the average citizen as a dog faced pony soldier for questioning him on policy during a town hall event. When Joe is coming from a position of power, he's a bully. That's how Trump treated him in the debate. Love the show. Shields high. Uh, Aaron, uh, I think that's a good point. I think that I think that Biden is very dismissive to people when he thinks he can get away with it. I think he does have a a short temper. So well played. Well played. Justin, first off, producer Mark is the greatest. Justin definitely wanted to be in roll call reference for before original Saturday squad should be boss before original Saturday squad. I've been a podcast listener since the blaze days earbuds in. Running CNC machines, 20 years on the grind, no college education, wife and two kids, 2,000 square house, square foot house on 1.5 acres, single family income. Who says the American dream ain't real? Keep up the great work. You two are the best. Shields high. Well, Justin, God bless you, man. I hope you enjoy every day the success of the American dream that you've created for yourself, for you and your family. That's awesome. And you've been with me for years, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. It really does mean a lot to me. Uh, Roger. 
Buck Donald Faison is the actor from Scrubs you were referring to. Love that show. Roger, I may have to check it out. And uh, he look, he was great in Clueless, which I don't care what anybody says. It's a fantastic movie. And I think most people understand that. But yeah, Donald Faison. He plays so, uh, Chris Turk, one of the uh, main characters. Great character. There we go. We might have to check it out this weekend. Team, rest up, relax, recharge this weekend. All right, those are your orders. Because on Monday, we're back in the fight for this election. Shields high.